if you're still finding your way around in your Bible and learning where the different books are. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the major prophets. There are prophets referred to as the major prophets and some as the minor prophets. Major because it's big in size. That's the only reason. Minor because it's smaller in size. Isaiah uh, 33, if you find the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah. Kind of give you an idea of the order. And those of you with the right Bible, it's on page number 626. Oh, nobody has the right Bible, do they? We're in a, in a series that we began the first of the year uh, entitled, Not Just Surviving, But Thriving. 2008 can be one of the greatest years in our lives. It can be the greatest year in our life if, uh, to, to, to date, if you want, because God has great things in store for us. We talked about uh, a subject last week. Uh, the subject was the price of the Christian life, and you, uh, one thing that we learned from the message last week is that it costs something to serve God. Know that we don't sell tickets to church, we don't, you know, we don't earn uh, brownie points with God, so to speak, but Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he would take up his cross daily and follow me if he's going to be my disciple take up his cross daily and follow me. It requires commitment. It requires a cross, some sacrifice. It requires our getting outside of ourselves. This week I want to talk to you about the payoff for the Christian life. The payoff for the Christian life. Let me give you a little bit of the context before we read of Isaiah chapter 33. And it's important that we understand this because if we weren't, if we aren't careful, we would... Uh, uh, we could misunderstand and we could think that maybe the Bible is saying something that it is not. Isaiah is a prophet that is sent to Israel to basically tell them that the judgment of God is coming. Now, Isaiah wouldn't be a very popular preacher in today's scheme of things because basically he had to tell them there's some, there's some problems in Israel. And... Israel seemed to know it because, after all, Israel had been taken into captivity at the time. And Isaiah is telling them, here's what the problem is. You have sinned. You are away from God. But he tells them, as the privileged people of God, and they were, still are. They are God's people. The Jews are. That's who I'm speaking of. God's chosen people. God promised Abraham that he'd make of him a great nation. He'd bless them that blessed him and cursed them that cursed him. He'd make of, of him a great nation. His offspring would be such that you would never be able to count it. And, of course, he magnified that, that great promise from Genesis chapter 12 and, and other covenants as well to, uh, uh, that he made with, uh, uh, with Israel. But Israel all the time was getting their eyes on the world and getting their eyes on on sinfulness and and thinking that even to the point of, of worshiping other gods. 
And God is a jealous God. He will not allow that to happen. And so he allowed Israel to be taken into captivity by their enemies. As we look at chapter 33, he's telling them in the text that we're going to use here today, the judgment of God has come upon you because of unrighteousness. And he's speaking to them as a nation. But he also tells them that the blessing of God will be upon you if you determine to live righteously before God. And in fact, not all of Israel was apostate. Not all of Israel was in sin. There was a remnant, still is. He's always preserved himself a remnant. A remnant of those who would be blessed of God. And there is a remnant that will be blessed of God on Jesus coming again to establish his kingdom here upon the earth. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Let's read. Let's just begin our reading with verse 13 of chapter 33. Where he says, Hear you who are afar off what I have done. And you who are near acknowledge my might. The sinners of Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? These questions are being asked by those who are referred to as the unrighteous. They're the ones asking this. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Verse 15, the answer comes to their question. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain and oppressions. Who, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes. Who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. And shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will see the king and his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will not see a fierce people, a people of obscure speech beyond perception, of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. He encourages them, telling them, you're not going to have to put up with living in this foreign land anymore, hearing people speak in ways that are disparaging of, of the people of God like you had to do once uh, because of the, uh, the captivity that you're, that you're suffering. Verse 20, look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed nor will any of its cords be broken. There the majestic Lord will be for us, a place of broad rivers and streams, in which no galley with oars will sail, nor majestic ships pass by. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. 
your tackle is loosed. They could not strengthen their mass. They could not spread the sail. Then the prey of great plunder is divided. The lame take the prey, and the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Well, here's a great, great story about the future for Israel. You're, going, you're, you're suffering for unrighteousness now, but there will be a day when it will no longer be. For you will be declared righteous. And of course, he's talking about the remnant who believed. But you know, Isaiah was a, was a prophet sent to Israel that was, that he had a twofold job, basically. His job was to let Israel know, here's what you need to do to serve God. Here's a message from God for you today and for the future. But also, Isaiah, in the, in the office of the prophet, as it, as it was, his job was to prophesy the future. And so we see him doing that repeatedly through here. There are many what we would call messianic prophecies where he's talking about the Lord Jesus himself and the Messiah who would come, uh, and that, of course, being Jesus Christ. And he talks about the kingdom. And that's one of the things. Not only is he telling the, the remnant of Jews here now, if you live righteously and you live for God, you'll see the blessings of God now. But he's saying to them, one day there will never, ever be any problems for Israel again. And you know what the, what the great news that we can add to that is? Romans chapter 11 says that you and I, if I were to count all of the Jewish believers in here today, I'd get a very low number, I expect. <laughs> and we're not going to do that. You know, I, I'll just tell you, from my perspective, I'm not Jewish. But I have been grafted into the into like a wild olive branch, Romans chapter eleven tells us, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been have been grafted into the olive tree, which is Israel, and we participate in the blessings of the kingdom of Israel because God has made it possible. He's adopted us into His family, if you wish. And so, when we look at this, and by the way, that's not a that's not an excuse to take every promise that God gave to Israel and say, well, that must be for us as Christians. You know, there are some things that are not for the church that were for Israel strictly. But this is one of them that we can literally say, because we are part of God's chosen family, we are chosen by Him. You've not chosen Him, but He has chosen you, John, Jesus uh, said through John, John chapter 15. And verse 16, we've been chosen by him to be a privileged people. You know, one of the things that many people have a misunderstanding about the Christian life, they look at the Christian life much like I did before I came to know the Lord. Before I, before I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I thought that Christians were people who just basically didn't know anything about having fun. You have to take a vow of poverty. You can't uh, ever enjoy life again. You just got to kind of go around with a sad look on your face, kind of like some of you have right now. <laughs> Every one of you are smiling now. That's good. I knew I'd get a smile out of you. But you know what? 
that was my ignorant take on Christianity. And, and, and when I look at the way I, be, I believe before coming to know the Lord, I, I came to realize that many people think exactly the way I did. That, you know, they're just... We talked last week about making a sacrifice for the Lord. And we talked about being committed and paying the price ourselves. And we need to do that. But it is one that we pay with joy. It's not something that we grudgingly offer the Lord. Our service for Him and our sacrifice to Him, no matter what we're sacrificing, you know, the, the bottom line is the sacrifice needs to be us. Paul said this, I beseech you, therefore, my beloved brethren, by the mercies of God that you present, how many of you, how many of you know that one? Your body as living sacrifices unto the Lord, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. My body is what God wants. It's not just my body. Fortunately, because he wouldn't be getting much if that's all he got. But what he's saying is, give yourself to the Lord. That's what he wants. That we willingly and, and joyfully give him. And the great news is, we don't give him anything. He doesn't give us back the same thing in a lot better shape than it was when we, got, we gave it to him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. He always, he always makes it better for us. But the, but, but the point here is, is, is this. As we serve the Lord, there are many benefits to serving God. We would look at the Jews and, th- and say, my, the Jews are privileged people. And they are. Jews, I mean, he called them, that's, that's the people of God. They have been given many wonderful blessings. But you and I as believers, knowing Jesus Christ, it gives us an opportunity to have a have a personal relationship with God, which affords us many, many blessings. What a special blessing it is to have the Spirit of God literally living in our bodies. Paul said this to the church at Corinth, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? He lives inside us. He takes up his dwelling inside our bodies. What a, what a tremendous blessing it is to have him, have him living in us. When we think of the benefits, uh, my goodness, maybe you ever find the Bible hard to understand? You have the author, if you're saved, you have the author living inside you. Isn't that, isn't that great? Who better than to talk to the author about it? And to be able to say, you know, Lord, I just don't understand such and such. Could you explain it? He's happy to do that. He wants to do that. There are so many things that we can expect from him that, are, that, that we are blessed because of his, his indwelling. As believers, we're truly privileged people. Isaiah here talks about the privileges of the godly. Privileges of the righteous. By the way, I might uh, haste to say that uh, uh, that any godliness that you and I might have is not something for which we can boast about. Because if we have any, 
It all comes from Him. I can't say, look at me, how godly I am, how righteous I am. Any righteousness I have in my life is all attributed to Him. For He is the one who proclaims me righteous through Him. But our godliness, in fact, we're talking about the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Our godliness is in direct proportion to the amount of control that we relinquish to the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute. Has there ever been a time in your life as a Christian that you didn't really, you recognize it wasn't really a godly part of your life or a godly time in your life? Your actions, your life didn't speak of godliness, didn't speak of righteousness. You know why that was? Because you were trying to run things yourself. I don't care if you're trying to be, you're trying to be godly. Even if you're trying to, trying to be righteous. If you're not giving over control to him, there's no godliness there. Because you and I by ourselves have nothing to offer. But with the spirit of God in control of our lives, a righteousness comes out. Christ, in control of our lives, qualifies us as righteous, but it qualifies us, His control in our life qualifies us as as a privileged people. And I want to give you four very simple reasons from this, this text of Scripture why we are privileged. Look at verse 16. It says, he will dwell on high. He will dwell on high. Literally, as a privileged person who knows Christ, I'm privileged because of my position in Christ. We are privileged because of our position in Christ. We will dwell on high. You start to think about that. Yeah, heaven is, is just a wonderful thing to think about. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But, but you know what? It's not only in heaven. It's right now as well. Not just in heaven, but now as well. In, in Christ Jesus, we are already, the Bible says, seated in the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Don't ask me how to explain all that. It's, it's one of those things that... You know, I can't wait till we get to heaven. I can say, God, exactly. You know, it's difficult. My little, my little brain has trouble getting around some of this. You know, it's not the way we think. But we are literally seated in Christ. We're already seated in heaven. We're as good as there, in other words. In fact, we have heavenly citizenship. Philippians three twenty says that our citizenship is in heaven. I was reminded of Paul when Paul was uh, was was about to be beaten and had been arrested, and he said, "Oh, by the way, is it legal to?" Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. Is it legal to uh, to beat a Roman citizen before he's tried and found guilty? <laughs> they stepped back from him and said, "Oh, whoa, we can't do that." His citizenship really meant something, you see, and even a lost world recognized it. Even his enemies recognized it. And I want to say to you this morning, our citizenship means something. And I'm grateful I'm, uh, my citizen, I'm a citizen of the United States of America, number one. 
But most importantly, I am grateful to be a citizen of heaven. Once we have accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we, our citizenship is in heaven. We're just here for a short while. What's that old song, this world is not my home? I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Man, I want to tell you, we have a home in heaven that is literally, that is, that we are a, 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 a privileged people because of our position in Christ. It's all because of him. And by the way, I said it's not just all in heaven. It's for here as well. Our attitude here ought to be different. An attitude of confidence and faith. You see, I don't believe we ought to live like spiritual paupers. So much of the time we, we live our lives like we have no connection to God whatsoever. Like we're just thrown out into this world all by ourselves when in fact we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3 says, in Christ Jesus. They're ours. And we should live like heirs of God. Romans eight seventeen says we are heirs of God. Not just heirs, but joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And that's an awesome, awesome truth. You talk about privilege. And when you stop and think about, let's, let's just stop for just a minute and, and think about where we've been. Think about last week. Or maybe the week before. Don't go back any further than that. You remember last week. It was that week that you'd like to be over, right? Yeah. For some it was. And you know what? Sometimes we let our circumstances rule our lives. Sometimes we we begin to look at what's going on in our lives and we begin to look at the things that are happening in our lives and maybe last week was a bummer. Maybe last week was a good one and maybe it was a week before that we were you know, but man, we just just kind of got filled with care and stress started to build and all of this. Somebody has come up with this little thing here lately, and I don't know who said it, and I'm sure it wasn't important, or wasn't uh, uh, probably original with them even, but they were too uh, too blessed to be stressed. I saw that on a church sign not long ago somewhere. Too blessed to be stressed. We get so stressed out and concerned about uh, about the things that happen in our lives on a daily basis. We forget who who can take control of those things and who can who can. We forget our position in Christ. We're privileged to come to Him, to ask Him. He's waiting for us. I love that passage of Scripture. I think it's Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles, sixteen nine, if I remember correctly. I'm, if I'm wrong, forgive me. But it says, "The eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth, seeking to show Himself mighty on behalf of them who trust Him." God is looking for an opportunity to do something really neat in your life. And all those things we get so stressed out over, I'm sure he just looks at those things and smiles and says, my goodness, those things are so trivial when it comes to the big scheme of things. I can handle those things if they will just allow me to. And that's what he wants to do. Because of our position in Christ. 
We're privileged. Let me give you a second second reason we're a privileged people. Not only because of our position in Christ, but because of our protection in Christ. Verse 16, he continues. He says he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Well, I want to say to you, for the believer in Jesus Christ, we can say our place of defense will be the rock. Not the place of rocks, it's the rock. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. You know who he's talking about when he spoke of the rock there? He's talking about himself. He is the rock. Christ Jesus, the cornerstone of our life, Peter said. Jesus Christ is our defense. If we're a believer in Him, we're protected. You might ask, protected physically? Yes. He says the defense, uh, our place of defense shall be the Uh, shall be the rock, or the rocks, and ours, of course, is the rock. How can we say that he'll protect us physically? I want to tell you that, that things happen to you and I as believers in Jesus Christ only by God's permission. Nothing comes into your life. It's not sifted through the permissive will of, uh, of God. Colossians 3, 3 says, you, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ, in God. I mean, we have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 tells us. I love the 91st Psalm, verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When we abide in Him, you know what? What's the application for you and I here? He's there. And he's there as our protector. He's there where I dwell. He's my protector. And I know some things come in our lives a lot of times we wonder if, did God intend that to happen? God allowed it to happen. Romans 8, 28 says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, them that are the called according to his purpose, everything that comes into our lives. Wonderful thing to know that he's always looking out for us. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We worry about these bodies of ours. We worry about what's going to happen to us. Second Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ and how that, that our body is only earthly. Verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, Speaking of our bodies, is if our body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we are in this tent, uh, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us a spirit as a guarantee. It's one of the reasons we have the Spirit of God living in us. It's God's guarantee. Verse 6 says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Oh, Paul basically is saying, so what if you die? So what? If you're, a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, death has no hold on you anymore. In fact, death is just the beginning of the rest of your life. You don't have to fear it. Never forget, uh, I, I hadn't been saved a week or two probably, and I heard a, uh, we were working with teenagers. You know, church was desperate, man. They put us in a Sunday school class immediately. And... We had, a, we had a bad storm, I'll never forget. I mean, of course, living where we did, basically right in Tornado Alley, you know, and, and um, had this bad storm, and, and I mean, it was, it was one of those scary ones. Even had those of us who were veterans of that stuff kind of looking around and wondering. And, and we had a youth activity the next morning, and one of the kids we were talking about, about the weather and how scary it was, and here I am, a new Christian, and I don't know beans about anything, and and except I know that I'm saved and going to heaven when I die, and that's about it. And one of the kids, we were talking about how, how scary it was. He said, you know what? really didn't bother me a bit. I slept like a baby because I thought, what if it just blew this house down? I'd just wake up in heaven in the morning. Here's a teenage boy that had more assurance of, of what was going on in his life than this adult did. Of course, I began to learn the value of, of the fact that to be Absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. You know, we get too attached to these these bodies that we live in. We get too, and, and really honestly, I must, I think we ought to be honest. It's really not these bodies that we're so attached to. We get attached to this world that we're living in. For in fact, we don't want to, we don't like change. And there's a few things that are kind of unknown that we're not sure about. And so we have a tendency to let the devil convince us sometimes that we ought to fear death. I want to tell you, we shouldn't ever fear death. Death is nothing more for the child of God, is nothing more than than another step in the Christian life. It opens the door to eternity. Well, it's going to be going to be some wonderful things that we'll have, and we'll be able to uh, to enjoy there as well. So we're protected, protected physically, protected spiritually. And I I don't want to hang out too long here because I'm I've got a couple more things I need to need to give you. But but let me just say this: some people they look at Jesus as if he 
He can save them, but he surely doesn't have the power to protect me spiritually. I'm just afraid if I, if I, I if I just do something that's wrong, I'm, I'm, I may just lose my salvation. I may not get to go to heaven. Let me tell you what Jesus said about that. John chapter 10, verse 27, 28. He said, my sheep, that's you and me, if we know Christ. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You see, never is a big word. Eternal is a big word. If, if God is giving us eternal life when we accept Christ, when we accept Christ as our personal Savior and He gives unto us eternal life, what kind of life do we have? We have life that lasts forever. Not until certain events happen in our lives. Not until anything happens. There's no condition with it. Once we have it, we have it. Now, I know well-meaning, there are some well-meaning Christians that seem to think that, uh, that um, you know, we, we, because they're afraid that, that we'll take it for granted that we need to earn it after that. Well, let me tell you, you can't keep yourself saved anymore. You can save yourself. You just can't do it. And the Bible says that if we, as believers, John said this to, uh, to believers, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, he said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he expects us to, to live for him. He expects us to keep our sin confessed to him. He expects us to live for him. We don't have a license to sin because, because we are spiritually protected but the truth is, once you have come to be God's child, He never disowns you. You are God's child. You are eternally saved. Let me give you a third thing. That is a third reason why we're a privileged people. Not only because of our, our position in Christ, our protection in Christ, but because of our provision in Christ. Verse 16 goes on and says... Bread will be given him. He's going to dwell on high. His defense will be the fortress of rocks. And third, bread will be given him. Talking about our provision. And you, you might say, or again, are we talking about physical needs or are we just talking about spiritual needs? And I would like to say to you, the answer to both of those questions is yes. Physical needs, yes. Psalm chapter 23 and verse 1 just about everybody knows that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If, if the Lord's your shepherd, he's going to take good care of his sheep. Now that's a promise of God. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your, uh, your, your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus said, talking to his disciples who were concerned about uh, about all that, the, the the things that they had need of, whether it was a place to live or clothing or or food or or whatever, he said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things you have need of will be added unto you." So physically, yes, 
In Christ, we're privileged for Him to be our provider of physical needs and spiritual needs as well. In Ephesians 1, 3, I told you a moment ago, we, it says that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Look at, at the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, John's Gospel, chapter 6, and verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, of course, is talking about, about spiritual blessings here. In him, we are blessed. All of our needs spiritually are provided. Now, by the way, it's important that we note that in verse 16 it says, going back to Isaiah 33, bread will be given him it doesn't say that he will earn his bread it says it'll be given him it does not say that we will earn our spiritual blessings it says it's a gift and i and i would say to you this morning the very first gift that god gives us is a spiritual gift the gift of salvation if we got what we deserved as sinners the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see, there is a wonderful gift of salvation that's being offered to us, and, and, and we must receive it. He's not pushing it on us. We've got to receive it. We've got to accept it. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We have to receive him. So don't expect uh, him to just announce that I've got this plan for you and it's all here. Don't sweat it. I've taken care of it all. You just kind of hang in and do whatever you want to do. No, you've got to accept the gift. Got to receive it. And folks, let me say beyond that, that's true of every spiritual blessing that we have. God has provided for us. What he wants us to do is to receive those gifts, those blessings that he give, gives us. For if we're not willing to accept them, he's sure not going to push them on us. Let me give you a fourth reason that we're pri privileged people. It's in verse 17. Your eyes will see the king and his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. That's our prospect in Christ. Privileged because of our prospect in Christ. We're going to see the place to begin with. I'm talking about heaven. Look at the last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter. Almost the, the, the last chapter in the Bible. Next to the last. Chapter 21. Revelation 21 and, ver, and verse 1. John said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We're going to see heaven. Not only are we going to see the place, which is heaven, but we're going to see the person, which is King Jesus. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty, verse 17 says. I love what Job said. Job had gone through more than most of us will ever even think about. Job chapter 19, verse 20, uh, verse 25, 26, and 27 Job said this, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last upon the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I, I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. He said, this body's going to be gone, but I'm going to see him. I'm going to get to see him. And that's going to be a wonderful day. Well, people talk about going to heaven and dangling their feet in the river of life for the first 10,000 years and resting and going and seeing the Apostle Paul and finding out what all he was talking about in the New Testament in some areas that are hard to understand. And, and I understand why people would say that, but I want to tell you what, there's one thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven. up my king and he and I are going to spend some time together and I know there will be thousands upon thousands who will be there doing the same thing for we have that prospect in Christ to be able to look into the eyes of the one who loved us so much knowing how sorry and how what a failure we were here in this life and that goes for every one of us. I know he looks at my life, and if, if, if humanly speaking, you'd look at you'd look at this life and say, "My goodness, there's no nothing that deserves an audience with a king." But Jesus said, "I loved them so much, I was willing to die that I might have him with me for eternity." Somebody loves me that much, I can't wait. I can't wait to spend some time with him. I can't wait to be able to, to just sit in his presence and to learn from him. And we will. For the Bible says then we'll be like him. John said it this way, First John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but... We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's going to be a wonderful day. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, please. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Simple question. Are you enjoying the simple wonderful privileges 
of the godly. God wants you to. He wants you to, 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 to be that privileged person and, and to enjoy those privileges. Let me say it again. It's not going to happen because you are worthy. It's not going to happen because you've proven yourself to be a worthy person. It'll happen because you trust the Lord Jesus to take your life and to make it worth something. I don't know about you, but I get kind of tired going from pillar to post trying to think that I'm doing something to measure up the sight of God. I have learned that if you will rest in him and allow him to control your life, if you will love him with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, you will love your neighbor as yourself, all the things that you think you need to do and that you're failing to do, they'll all take care of themselves. Jesus himself said that. I wonder this morning, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe there's a Christian here this morning who's been struggling a little bit. Kind of forgot that you're a child of the King. Oh, you hadn't forgotten, but you've been kind of living like you've forgotten. Maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you need someone who'd come alongside you and just say, I love you and I want to pray for you. Well, I want to tell you there's someone here today. That's this pastor and there are other people here as well that would do the same thing. I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you have a need, my Christian friend, can I pray with you? Would you just slip your hand up if you have a need for prayer today? God bless you. God bless you and you and you. God bless you. Our heads are still bowed, and we're going to pray for these folks in a moment. I would be remiss if I did not tell you that Jesus loves every person in this room. And I don't know what's going on in the heart and lives of every individual. I, I, I can't know that. Only you know what's going on in your own heart and life. Only I know what's going on in my heart and life. But I know that God knows that. And I want you to know this morning that God loves you with all of his heart. Jesus proved it on the cross. For you couldn't have a relationship with the Holy God were it not for what Jesus did on the cross. I wonder this morning if I might be able to pray for you and with you as I'm going to for these folks in a moment. And if you're not sure if you're standing with God, you're not sure if you died right now, you'd, you'd come into the presence of God in heaven because you cannot look back to a time when you trusted Christ to save your eternal soul. I want, to, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer this morning. And I want, I want you to pray it, and I want you to mean these words. Make them yours. Mean them from your heart. And if you do, I promise you God will hear it, and he'll answer. And by the way, you don't have to pray them out loud. You just pray them to God from your heart to his, and he'll hear you, and he'll answer, and he'll save you. Pray with me if you need to, dear God. I confess to you this morning that I'm a sinner, that I've failed you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. 
I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me as my substitute to pay for my sin. So I invite him to come into my life and to be my personal Savior. And I just trust you by faith to do what you said you would do. I don't understand a lot of it, but I understand this, that you love me. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I want to pray for you this morning if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ today. Just as I want to pray here in a moment for those who've asked for prayer that already knew the Lord as their Savior. If you prayed that prayer with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, will you just slip up your hand so I can see it, so I'll know that you need prayer? God bless you. Someone else who just know that this morning that they prayed that prayer and they got peace in their heart that Christ has come into their life. Lord, thank you for the hands that have gone up this morning. I'm grateful for this person who has called on you to be their Savior. Lord, I pray you'd give assurance of, of their salvation, that they'd, Lord, be able to rest in that and to know that it's all up to you. And, Lord, that once they're saved, they're safe and they're protected in the hand of God. Lord, help them to grow in grace and knowledge of you. Help them, Lord, to live for you. God, thank you for working in hearts. And, Lord, I pray for these others. Hands went up all over this room this morning, people who had prayer needs. And, Lord, while I don't know the situation in each heart and each life, I know that sometimes a Christian life can be very difficult because we kind of take it take the controls away from you and father forgive us for that help each one of us to trust you wholly lord to, to give our lives totally to you and and to control of them and to know that we are privileged people because we are children of god lord thank you for the confidence and the faith and that, and that we have in you and that we have in, in in our own lives because we know you're running things and Lord, I pray for these folks who've asked for prayer this morning that you would just meet their needs according to their need and according to your will, I ask it. Lord, thank you again for meeting with us. Thank you for the wonderful service you've given us and the blessing it's been to be able to be here on this snowy day. Lord, bless, bless our folks who've not been able to come. Some of the elderly folks couldn't get out this morning. Lord, others, you just give them a great day as well. And just bless them. Thank you for the time that we've had here together today. Thank you for meeting with us the way you have. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen.